Ash Wednesday is one of my favorite liturgical times to preach. And that, may, that may seem a little bit strange. It is one of the more solemn occasions in the church. Definitely top three most somber services of the year. And one of the reasons that I love to preach, preach Ash Wednesday is because I love to sort of cheekily talk about why uh, the things that we do here tonight are not the whole of the season of Lent. Just like we read in the words from the prophet Joel, cannot give us a clear picture of what he meant in the time in which he wrote these words. For example, did we all notice that we skipped several verses there in Joel? About ten in all? Now, it would be a very lengthy passage if we were to read the whole thing. But by leaving out this large chunk of the text, we miss a little bit of critical information. In this chapter of Joel, the prophet is writing about a plague of locusts. And in Joel's day, the people with the highest view would have been seated on the edges of the walls of the temple. And so they were charged with blowing the horn in Zion to let the people know that something from afar was coming. In this instance, a trove of locusts. Now, in preparation for this sermon, I went to Google, and I found out that a locust is a large grasshopper. And grasshoppers and cicadas are in the same little insect family, which immediately caused me to think of the 17-year cicadas that infested much of the U.S. and other parts of the world last summer. We were spared, largely, from the 17-year cicadas, though we do get the normal ones, who are a little bit smaller than the 17-year ones, but it made me think about the sound that a cicada makes when it smacks into my glass door at the house. It's like a thump, and then like a buzzing sound as they try to get back on their tiny insect legs from their back. And then I reread this passage thinking about large grasshoppers with wings and what that might have meant for Joel's community. And I'm not talking about like one, I'm talking about thousands, millions of grasshoppers. So in Joel's time, first of all, there were not weather sealed doors. And so if you can imagine the little thwomp sound against your door, but then imagine it against the back of your leg while you sleep at night, and instead of one, it's a thousand. I understand the urgency here. Even worse, can you imagine the devastation of a swarm of large, hungry grasshoppers descending upon your fields, dying in your water source, covering every surface of everything? And when your crops and your fields are devastated and your water source is full of rotting bugs, what happens next? Well, then your livestock start to suffer. And if your fields are suffering and your livestock are suffering, 
the next thing that starts to suffer is your community, the people. And so all of a sudden, you have no crops, you have no water, you have no livestock. And on top of all of that, you have a bunch of tiny bugs, not so tiny, but not even the stinging kind of bug, that has absolutely torn apart your community, wreaked havoc upon your community. Your whole community essentially laid bare by grasshoppers. So what does this have to do with Lent? That is a great question. Thank you for asking. <laughs> also in Joel's day, what we now understand to be the scientific life cycle of these bugs, to Joel's community it feels like a plague sent by God. And I get it. How, how else would you describe such a phenomenon with less information? And so the only sensical explanation is that the people have angered their God. They are being punished. And so in this passage, Joel tells the people, listen, our sackcloth is not working. The priests, it's not working. We're going to need to gather the people. We got to like repent or pray or something because what we're doing right now is not working. The drove of locusts is coming. And thankfully, in the year of our Lord, 2022, one, we have weather stripped doors. And two, we understand the life cycle of things. That every 17 years, these very large cicadas crawl up out of the ground and descend upon the fields. We can prepare for that. We understand that while that is a quirky creation, they're to be expected, so we can make a plan. And yet here in Joel, the call to rend our hearts and not our clothing still makes sense. The life cycle of our church, while not the life cycle of an insect, still comes to this solemn season year after year. And thanks be to God, we are not expecting locusts, but we are expecting to gather together. Here we are, a solemn assembly. But we are not walking into a storm cloud of insects. We're walking into the season of Lent. We're really, the only thing that has changed are the color of our pyramids here. We won't be singing any hallelujahs anytime soon. But the power of the season is possibly lost on us. As we understand the life cycle of the church, we know that we do this part first so that we can get to Easter Sunday and beautiful flower crosses. We understand that the promise that the long solemn, at the end of the long, solemn tunnel is Easter. So we go through these motions. But do we feel the urgency of this preparation? And I would suggest that in this Lenten season that we are not walking to resurrection, that we are walking to death. This season we are not practicing suffering, we are practicing death. And the prophet Joel provides a guidance for us 
on how we are to practice this death. We are not to rend our clothing. We are not to release the unimportant things as symbols of suffering. We're not to wear the same seven articles of clothing all season. That is called minimalism. We're not here to tell our friends on Facebook that we're giving up Facebook. That is a weird brag, followed by an act of self-control. We're not to give up chocolate or soda or meat. That is called dieting. This is not a season about lauding our own ability to be uncomfortable or inconvenienced. We are, though, to rend our hearts. We're to look at the news of the Russian invasion of, U of Ukraine, and we are to resist the temptation to look away so that we might be pierced by our common humanity. We're to see our homeless neighbor on the street and recognize them as siblings in the family of God. We're to examine our planet's own dying and viscerally connect it to our own demise. We are, in this season, to experience the finitude of our own existence so that we understand our own fragility and how imperative it is that we take care of each other. This is a somber season, but I do not believe that it requires a somber response. I suggest tonight that it requires an invigorated response. Tonight we will partake in the ritual impartation of ashes, the palm leaves that we waved last Palm Sunday while proclaiming Hosanna. Tonight we will wear their burned remains on our foreheads as we remember that we are of the dust, and to the dust we shall return. I love this ritual. I love this reminder. Yet sometimes I think that we get lost in the beginning, in the dust. And we get lost in the end, the return to dust. But friends, we are not dust yet. Right now we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are of God, capable of pulling the righteous and just kingdom of God down into our midst. Yes, one day there will be a returning to the dust. There will be a return to God. It is the life cycle of things. But the good news is that we are not dust yet. This season, we do not need to practice being dust. There will be plenty of time for that. We need to practice putting to death that which we do not want to carry with us into resurrection. And so we rend our hearts. We commit ourselves to the daily practice and pursuit of anti-racism and dismantling white supremacy. We commit ourselves to the daily practice and pursuit of equity and inclusion of all kinds. We commit ourselves to the daily practice and pursuit of justice for our neighbor and for our planet. We put to death the things that we do not want to carry to resurrection. And yes, we are of the dust. And yes, we are made of the stuff of stars. And yes, we are made in the image of God. 
And so in this season, may we remember that we are from the holy mystery. And may we recommit ourselves to return to the mystery better than we left. May it be so. In the name of the Creator and the Christ and the Holy Spirit. Amen.